Good morning. If you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in Ephesians 6. I'm going to start in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that because of Jesus Christ, we have access to all of your power. As we battle against sin, as we battle temptation, and as we battle the spiritual forces of wickedness led by your enemy. Father, we pray that we would trust you above all and recognize that in you is where we find all the strength we need to live as you want us to live. Father, I pray for each of us in here this morning that you would communicate to our minds as we study your word, that we would understand it. You know, there are lots of distractions for many of us from the week, whether we were out late last night or have lots of studying ahead of us or relational challenges. Father, I pray push those away just for this time that we would focus on you and on your word. Move in our hearts that we would submit to you through the power of your spirit and embolden us and strengthen us for your service. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, our college leaders, our Bible study leaders, ran a big game of assassins for about three weeks. Now, some of you have played it, some of you have not. Uh, The idea behind assassins, if you're not familiar, is that everybody who is playing gets somebody else's name, and it is your job to assassinate that person. In our case, in our game, we assassinated the person just by shooting them with a water gun or spraying them with a water bottle or something along those lines. Uh, The game takes place everywhere over the course of a few weeks. There were only a few rules in our case because it was Bible study leaders. You couldn't assassinate somebody during Bible study, right? You couldn't run in and shoot them and run out. It was too easy. You couldn't do it on church grounds uh, or within 15 minutes of when a Bible study started or ended. But other than that, Oh, and you couldn't go to their house, actually. You couldn't sit outside their house or sneak into their house or break into their house, right? Uh, Other than that, you could get somebody anywhere, on campus, at class, wherever they were. And so I was in on this game, and the first few days for me were pretty stressful, because obviously you don't know who has your name. Uh, And so everywhere I went, I was vigilant, I was on guard, I had a little uh, water bottle, and the only water bottle I could find at our house was a little pink spray water bottle, so uh, I was carrying this thing around everywhere, ready to go, and uh, after a few days, though, it occurred to me, you know, they can't get anybody at home or at the church, and I was like, really, I work here, so most of the time, I'm here, 
And then I drive home. Occasionally I'm on campus, some other places. So I started to kind of relax my guard and I wasn't paying close attention. And uh, one day I was picking up my daughters from preschool. They go to preschool here and walked down to the office. And there was this one student, I will call him Gary. Gary was a very competitive guy. And uh, he saw me in the office and just started making small talk. Hey, how's it going? What's up? It's like, hey, I'm doing well. He goes, hey, I have a question. I need to ask you some advice. Uh, can I walk out with you to your car? And I thought, of course he needs my advice, right? I'm, uh, I'm smart. So uh, we start walking out and I'm ready to talk. And he turns around right before I get to my car in front of my daughters. And he gets me with a water pistol and says, you're dead. All right, now right in front of my kids. Now, I let down my guard. Now, I'm going to contrast that with my wife. My wife, Shannon, was also playing the game, and uh, it just so happened that Gary's brother, I will call him Irwin, uh, Gary's brother Irwin was also playing the game, and he also was extremely competitive. In fact, Irwin was the type of guy that I really think would shove his grandmother in a ditch if he could win a race, right? That kind of guy, All right? So he had been stalking my wife for days, planning to get her and uh, he figured out when she picked the kids up from school, dropped them off, all this kind of stuff. But, okay, so Shannon, though, is vigilant and ready. She had a spray bottle sitting in the car in the console next to her, and she's driving through in the minivan to pick the girls up from preschool. And she looks in her rearview mirror, and she sees him kind of dart behind the, the van. And she realizes he's there for her. All right? And so she grabs that water bottle, and he comes around, this competitive, big, Guy comes around the side, pulls up his pistol, and before he can get it up, she squirts him in the face, right? And he's humiliated. And the rule was, if you get squirted first, you've got to wait 24 hours. So he turns around, and I saw him later, and it was like my vindication, you know? I said, so how'd that feel, minivan mom getting you first? And uh, did you like that? Are you going to try again? He was like, no. He actually didn't try again. He goes, that was my chance. He was like, I never see her. I don't know when I'll catch her again. That was it. He gave up. Right? He was totally deflated. And what Shannon knew that I forgot was that when you are in battle, you need to remain alert. Right? Always be equipped. Always be ready. She had that bottle ready. She was watching. She was vigilant. She was alert. Now, in a game like that, the consequences of not being alert are relatively small. Right? You're out of the game. In a real battle, the consequences are huge. Right? That's why the military spends billions of dollars every year training men and women for battle, buying them equipment, buying them weaponry, and preparing them for that moment when they're going to face the enemy. Some of you have seen the miniseries from several years back called Band of Brothers. And one of the things that that miniseries does well is demonstrates the intense training that these paratroopers went through prior to shipping overseas to deploy behind enemy lines. They ran and they ran and they ran and they practiced, and they practiced, and they practiced, and they drilled, and they drilled, and they drilled until they were ready for any situation. And many of those men writing and talking later said that preparation saved their life. Preparation, being equipped, saves lives in battle. That is no less true in a spiritual battle than it is in a physical one. The Apostle Paul, writing the book of Ephesians, understood that we are engaged in a very real battle with a very real enemy. The devil is real, and the Bible talks about him a lot, and his goal is to destroy us. 
And if you think that physical battles can be deadly, spiritual battles can be worse. And the enemy's goal is to destroy you, to distract you from God, to tempt you towards sin, to make you believe that he is not good and cannot be trusted. 1 Peter chapter 5, a passage many of you are familiar with. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And then it goes on, but resist him firm in your faith. And the idea is that the enemy is looking for an opportunity to take you and me down. If you look at the temptation of Jesus prior to beginning his public ministry, you see that the devil tries every tactic in the book, riches, power, hunger, physical needs. He tries everything and he tries to meet Jesus at his most vulnerable point. And if you have not already experienced it, you will experience moments in your Christian walk where you are at a vulnerable point and a crisis hits and you are tempted to chuck it all to say, I'm so lonely. And this relationship over here, it might be sinful, but it's going to make me feel better than whatever God promises he's offering down the line. I'm desperate, chasing after financial security in whatever way possible is going to be better for me than whatever God has to offer. I'm tempted, and I want the momentary pleasure of sin rather than the long-term reward that God promises to those who are faithful. And you will hit those crisis moments when you're alone, when you're needy, when you're tempted, and the enemy will creep in. And the question is, will you be ready? Paul wrote the book of Ephesians when he was in prison in Rome, chained to a Roman soldier under house arrest. If you remember the book of Acts, we ended the book of Acts last week. Paul in Rome, awaiting trial before Caesar. That is when he wrote the book of Ephesians. And he's under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. And if I were Paul, I'd be tempted to chuck it all. To say, you know, I don't really want to be in prison for Jesus. Maybe I'll go get a job, start a tent-making company, make some money. And in the midst of that temptation, he recognizes that the churches to whom he ministers... People like us also are facing temptation to be safe, to be comfortable, to pursue sin instead of to pursue Jesus Christ. And so he writes this passage to say, be equipped, be equipped because the enemy is on the prowl. And the first thing he says as you walk into this passage is the principle that we are facing a spiritual battle. And the first thing we're called to do is recognize that this is not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. All right, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. My guess is that the last time somebody insulted you, you didn't immediately think this is a spiritual issue. You probably thought, I want to punch your face. That's my enemy. My enemy wears flesh and blood. The last time your roommate did something to offend you, the 50th time she wore your clothes without asking. Thought It's not a spiritual battle. This is going to be a physical battle. (laughs) 
And we're tempted to believe that it is a battle against flesh and bone. When really, Paul says, now the battle you really face is spiritual. Our youngest kid, he's three years old, and there are days that he is determined to have his way, no matter what you say. And he will yell, and he will scream, and he will kick, and he will fall on the floor, and he will do everything he can to avoid doing what is right. And in those moments, my temptation is to say, that is my little enemy. Paul says, no, the real battle is in your heart, in your mind, and in your spirit. That it's in those moments when you're tempted to say, I want my way rather than God's, that the enemy can get a foothold and begin to lie to you. Jesus says Satan is the father of liars. I think Hollywood often portrays Satan and satanic activity as something crazy and dramatic and people are throwing plates across the room and turning their heads all the way around and all kinds of wacky stuff. The reality is that Satan's best tactic is simply to convince you that God is not good, that he cannot be trusted. And so in that moment when somebody says or does something that you don't like, You go to battle against the person instead of against the real enemy. And Paul says, this is a spiritual battle. Therefore, you need spiritual weaponry. It's not your skill, not your personality, not your intelligence, not your good looks. You need spiritual weaponry that can only come from God. If you are engaged in the wrong battle, you will bring the wrong weapons and you will lose. Um, I am not a big hunter. I've been hunting, though, a few times uh, with some friends, and particularly I've been turkey hunting. And uh, one of the things, for those of you who have been turkey hunting, you kind of know the setup. You set up a little decoy out in a field. It's a little rubber turkey on a stick, right, that looks like a lady turkey. And then you sit behind a blind in the trees, camouflage, and you make little turkey calls. And you try to draw the male turkeys in, and they see that decoy, and they're not too bright, and they think, I'm going to get a date, right? And so they begin to rush that decoy. Now, it's interesting. Sometimes uh, if guys are really good at this, which I'm not, they will call and several turkeys will approach that decoy. So you'll see two or three male turkeys coming toward that decoy. These toms are running toward it and they see one another and they see the decoy and they go, uh-uh, I'm going to win this deal. And so these two male turkeys begin to come toward each other and they got their claws, they got their beaks, they're ready to go, they're ready to fight. The problem is what they really need is a shotgun. Because the real battle isn't the other turkey. The real battle is hiding a few feet away in the bushes. They have the wrong weaponry because they're engaged in the wrong struggle. That's Paul's point in verses 10 to 13. If you come to a spiritual battle with physical weaponry, if you come to a spiritual battle thinking, I can think my way out of this, I can work my way out of this, you will lose. And so he says, you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. All of the armor he's going to describe comes from God and God alone. It's God's armor. He says, you put that on and that will allow you to stand firm. The armor he describes is by and large defensive. So that as the enemy attacks, you're protected on every side. So you can stand against the schemes of the devil. That idea is that the devil is constantly looking for a weak place in the armor. Imagine a football coach prior to game time or the week before, if you ever played football, you watch tape, right? You watch tape sometimes of the other team or of your own team. You look for weaknesses in your own play, but you also look for weaknesses in the other team's play. Where is their defense not making plays like they should? 
Where is the offense not executing like it should? Which players are the ones we want to go for first? And you look for every opportunity to win that game on the field. And he says, Paul says, that's what the devil is doing, looking for every opportunity. So if you're lonely, he says, I can tempt this person to engage in an illegitimate relationship because they want to be with somebody more than anything else. And they don't trust in the love of God. And if you're struggling with finances, the lie may be, if I pursue money, if I sell my soul to work, I can dig my way out of this pit and I'll be happy. You're struggling with lust. Maybe the lie is, you know, if I look at this, if I engage in this, if I pursue this sin, it'll make me happier than whatever God has to offer. And he looks for every chink in the armor. And so Paul says, you put on the full armor of God to be prepared. And then he's going to go on and describe the armor that comes from God. All right, verses 14 to 17. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All right, Paul goes on and he says, God provides everything that you need. And he begins to describe this armor. And again, remember, he's chained to a soldier. And so as he's writing this, he's probably looking at this soldier and he's describing the armor. And each piece of the armor corresponds to something that only God can give. And so he says, you put on the full armor of God because God has everything you need. Second Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Everything you need is found from one source. As I read this, as I read Second Peter, as I looked at Ephesians 6, uh, strangely, I couldn't help but think of Super Walmart. All right, and here's why. Because when I was young, when I was a kid, you got your groceries in one place, you did your banking in one place, you went to the pharmacy somewhere else. Uh, they did have Walmart where you got maybe gardening supplies and electronics and things like that. But sometime around when I was in college, they made Super Walmart, right? You get everything there. There is everything. Guns, gardening stuff, groceries, electronics. There's a pharmacy. You can get glasses. You can go to the bank. You can eat at a restaurant. You can do everything. You could live there for years at Super Walmart because they have everything you need. And Paul says that God is the one place where you get everything you need to be equipped to battle against the enemy. I want to look briefly at each part of this armor. He says, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. The Roman soldier would wear, some of your translations may say a belt. It's not a belt like the ones we, we wear today, but more think of it as like a girdle. It was a leather sort of deal that went underneath the armor and it would protect the thighs and kind of this midsection of the body. They would tuck their clothes up into it. They might hang their uh, weapons from it and it was underneath all of the other armor as a basic piece that protected them in critical areas of their body. And what Paul says as he thinks about this is, you gird your loins with truth. And the idea is this, that underlying everything you believe is the fact that God can be trusted. That God is trustworthy. That what he says is true. Because believing that he can't be trusted, that was the lie that Adam and Eve bought into, wasn't it? God said, you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And the enemy says to him, what? Nah, if you eat of that, you're not gonna die. God knows that when you eat of that, you're really gonna see really well. 
and you'll understand good from evil and God knows you'll be as powerful as he is. He doesn't want that for you. He wants bad things for you. And so they eat the fruit because immediately they begin to believe God cannot be trusted. If I begin to doubt that God is good, and some of you may be there right now. You're in the midst of suffering. You're struggling with relational challenges. There's some sin that has beaten you up. And in those moments of crisis, often late at night, you go, I don't know if I can trust God. Maybe his goal is to, to crush me instead of to save me. So Paul says, underneath it all, you recognize God is trustworthy. And then he says, you put on the breastplate of righteousness. This was like a metal plate worn over sort of a leather kind of coat. And it would protect the chest and it would protect the back. And particularly it would protect your heart, right? Your heart, your lungs, all of these vital organs in here were protected by the breastplate. Now, Paul says the breastplate of righteousness. And the idea is, I believe that God is trustworthy. I've got that girdle on, but I also wear this breastplate of righteousness. The idea of righteousness is I subscribe to God's standards of the way things ought to be. That what God says is good, I believe is good. What God says is destructive, I believe is destructive. And so I live my life and I arrange my life according to his standards. So when God says that this activity in the sexual realm is destructive, because I believe he's trustworthy, I arrange my life around that righteousness. Because God says that pursuing kindness and peace and the fruit of the spirit are those things that will lead to a relationship with him and life here and for eternity. I trust him. And I arrange my life around those standards and recognizing the righteousness that God inherently has and valuing that and making it the way I model my life protects my heart. So when the enemy aims, I'm protected. So you put on the breastplate of righteousness. It says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. These Roman legionaries would wear these heavy sandals that would go all the way up kind of to their mid-shin area and they would strap them up and on the bottom were nails, like hobnails that they would wear on the bottom so they could dig into the ground and if somebody rushed you or attacked you, you didn't fall over if you were wearing these heavy boots that were tied on and you could stand firm. And what Paul says, you trust God is good, you believe in his standards, and then you remember this at every moment that Jesus died for you and rose again. And if you remember that, then when the enemy attacks, you stand firm. When you face relational challenges, again, when you hit that roommate conflict or that conflict with your parents or that sinful temptation, instead of thinking the battle is out there, you begin to recognize the battle is here between me and the enemy. And the battle has already been won because Jesus died and rose again. You know what he did? He paved the way for peace and harmony between me and God and me and other people. So you're not my enemy. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, you're not my true enemy because I have peace with God. All of this armor, by the way, can only be appropriated by those who know Jesus Christ. You have to put on those shoes. And if you don't know Jesus and you haven't trusted that he died for sin and he rose again, You will have no defense against Satan. You won't. He will take you down. For those who know Jesus, it's the memory that Jesus died and rose again, and we have life in him. 
and you shod your feet then with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's that readiness for battle. Then he says, taking up the shield of faith. Verse 16, in addition, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman soldier had a a shield. It was about two and a half feet wide, maybe about four feet tall. They would glue two planks of wood together. All right, then they would cover it with canvas and calfskin and they would put an iron plate right in the middle. And what would happen is the enemy would take these arrows and wrap them up with cloth and light them on fire and shoot them at you. And so as you are in battle, it's not only the soldiers in front of you you got to worry about as you're rushing the enemy, there are fiery arrows, literally fiery arrows coming down upon you. And you would take that shield and they would douse that shield in water before the battle. And as those arrows hit that shield, the fire would go out. So Paul says, you pick up the shield of faith. And the idea is that on a day-to-day basis, I trust God in my circumstances. When I'm poor, when I'm lonely, when I'm sad, when I feel sinful, when I feel ashamed, when I'm tempted to believe that the gospel isn't true, I take up that shield of faith. Whatever the enemy whispers, I extinguish it. Think about Jesus and his temptation for a moment again. The devil comes after him three times, right? He comes after his hunger. He comes after his need for authority. Tries to get him to deny God. Tries to get him to jump off of a cliff, his need for security. What does Jesus do? He comes back with the word of God, but he also comes back with the understanding that God's in control. That in the desert, when he's hungry, when he's lonely, when he's sad, God is there. That's the shield of faith. It says you take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation also. Verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is that idea that security comes from knowing we've already won the battle. God will save us. The enemy will be defeated. And then he says you pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now it's interesting, all of the other armor up to this point is defensive. And then he says at the end, you pick up that sword, which is the word of God. And that's the one offensive piece of armor. And so you are prepared and equipped and ready with the understanding that God is trustworthy. Jesus died for you. God can be trusted in the daily affairs of your life. And one day God will win. And then you pick up that sword, which is the word of God. And multiple times in the New Testament, the word of God is compared to a sword. And the idea is this. You fill your heart and your mind with it so that you know it. So that in those moments, like Jesus did, you can preach it to yourself to others. And that's how you win the battle, because the Word of God is where truth comes from. My eight-year-old daughter has been in Awana this year, and uh, she's enjoyed it. And one of the things they have done very well in there is they teach them to know the Word of God. They memorize it. They internalize it. They speak it over and over and over again. And we remind her over and over and over again that just knowing it, just having it in your brain is not enough, but you need to remember it and apply it. So in those moments when you want to get angry at your sister or brother or the dog because he ate your doll, right? Or mom and dad because we won't let you have candy. In those moments when the enemy tempts you to sin, to doubt God, you know God's word. And you utilize it. I'm curious how many of us in this room would say, yeah, I know God's word to the extent that when I'm tempted, when I feel lustful, when I feel angry, when I doubt if God is good, when I look at who I am and I say, I don't know if God really did a great job making me, 
I'm not smart enough. I'm not tall enough. People don't really like me. I don't have any friends when you start to hear that. I'm never going to get a good job. I'm never going to whatever. And you're tempted to sell out your relationship with God for something of the world. I wonder if in those moments we remember God's word and we say it to ourselves over and over again until like the enemy did with Jesus, he leaves. So Paul lays out this armor and he says it's through this armor that God gives us his power. Think of it as like a pre-flight checklist. You ever sitting on an airplane and you're kind of waiting a while? Sometimes the pilot's going through a little checklist, right? Are all the tires aired up, the wings de-iced, all the engines running like they should? You want him to do that, right? You don't want him to be like, nah, we're probably good, right? And just kind of keep going, right? You want him to go through all of those things prior to getting in the air because you want us to be ready in case something happens when we're in the air. You want all kinds of safety precautions as well. You want redundancy upon redundancy upon redundancy so there's no chance if one engine breaks that all of the plane is going to go down, right? That's why you got four engines. That's why you have all of these redundancies. That's why the pilot goes through this. The same thing, Paul says, in the spiritual realm, that you have all of this armor, and before you engage in battle with the enemy, you go through it in your mind. Do I trust God that he's telling the truth? Do I believe that Jesus died and rose again? If so, I know he's guiding me. I know I can trust him in the daily affairs of my life. And guess what? I know that I've already been saved. He's already defeated the enemy. The enemy is already defeated. He's a lame duck. And he can't do any real permanent damage. And so I can trust God. And I remember the word of God. And I preach it in those moments when I'm afraid. Right? And the armor comes from God. And we trust in his power to be equipped for those times. How do we do that? Right? How do we access that armor? I think the last section of this passage tells us. Through prayer. Verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. When we pray, that's where the real work is done of connecting us to God. When we read the word of God and we pray over it and we take it into our hearts and minds and we say, God, give me the strength to resist this temptation, to resist the enemy today. And we do that day after day after day, just like that soldier who practices day after day after day, who goes through the drills, who rehearses it, just like an athlete who runs the same patterns over and over and over again and practices the same skills over and over and over again. Through prayer, we practice over and over and over again, connecting with God in those times of battle. There's nothing magical necessarily about prayer. What prayer is, is a daily opportunity to say, this is my default, to go to God and I make it a habit. Right? If you're trying to eat well, you try to develop new habits, right? So instead of walking by the donut boxes and taking six, you change your pattern a little bit. And every time you're tempted to eat a donut, maybe you carry a little broccoli around in your pocket, right? And you you change those habits. And that's what Paul says, at all times, with perseverance, in every way you pray. The great men and women of God who fought against the enemy and advanced God's kingdom in this world knew that. And their strength came from hours upon hours of prayer. So there was a depth to their heart and their spirit that wasn't always seen on the surface, but the deeper you dig, the deeper they go. My question is this, are you more like cotton candy in your spiritual life? My kids like cotton candy when we go to the fair. 
big old pink puff ball of sugar, right? And so uh, you buy this thing, it's in a bag, and last time we went, my, my middle daughter is about this high, the whole cotton candy bag she got was like as tall as she was, right? So she's carrying this thing around, but the truth is, there's nothing to it. You bite into it, and what happens? It just kind of dissolves in your mouth, and you go, what was that? What in cotton? What in candy? I don't think. With sugar? There's sugar in there. What is that wispy stuff, right? And you don't know. And the deeper you go into it, the less that is there. Is that who you are? Now, I contrast that with there's a restaurant I love in Dallas that has this dip. It's called Bob Roberts Dip, and it is seven layers, right? And I don't remember all the layers, but, you know, it's queso, guacamole, beans, meat. Everything that you need to survive is in that dip, okay? (laughs) And the deeper you dig into it, the more you find, And on the surface, it just kind of looks like queso. And then you dig deeper and you go, there's guacamole, beans, meat, everything I need is in here, right? (laughs) That's who we want to be. That the deeper we dig into your heart, what comes out are the fruit of the Spirit, relationship with God, the Word of God. Because day after day after day, you invest in knowing God. You spend time in prayer. You spend time knowing his word. You take it into your heart and life. And what happens is prayer reminds us of the truth that God has already won in Jesus Christ. Prayer joins us then with the armies of God and he equips us with his armor. So we're ready. So when that moment comes of crisis, we're equipped. Most of us aren't equipped like we need to be. Because what happens is the patterns we've developed, we fill our minds with cotton candy. Wake up first thing in the morning, what's going on on Twitter, right? And maybe we take in a little bit of spiritual input here and there in the form of some podcast or tweets from our favorite pastor, but we never really deeply dig into the word of God and prayer and allow God through his spirit in those quiet moments with him to transform us. Paul says that is where strength comes from. Most of us are scattered by a hundred different things every minute. And what Paul says is you put on that armor through prayer at all times, knowing the word of God, and that will equip you for that moment when the enemy strikes, and he will. So the question is this, as we Prepare to sing some more. Are you equipped for spiritual battle with the power God provides? Are you ready? And if you're not, what will it take for you to be ready? What sort of habits do you need to change? Maybe it is that in the morning, instead of setting your phone right next to your bed, so you roll over and grab it, Facebook, right? Instead of doing that, maybe you set your Bible there. Maybe you set your prayer request journal there. You roll over and you grab that first thing. And that becomes your new habit. Maybe it is that you set times throughout the day that you say, this time I'll set an alarm on my phone and I'm going to take a 15-minute break from studying or work and I'm going to go pray. And I'm going to make it a scheduled deal to develop a habit every day to know God, to dig deeply into his word so I'm equipped for that moment. Are you equipped for spiritual battle? That's what Paul called us to be. And I think this is where the strength that Paul had to carry him through imprisonment and eventually death as a martyr. I think that strength came from this preparation.
And as you look at those who have had the greatest impact for God's kingdom, you often find they had a rich spiritual life underlying that, a life that most never knew. Through the power of God's spirit, we want to be equipped for battle so that we can make it for the long haul. And that's our prayer for you guys. That when you leave here, whether you're graduating now, whether you're not, when you leave here, 10, 20 years down the line, you will be walking with God because you start patterns and habits now of putting on that armor day after day after day to be equipped for battle. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that your love is strong, that from you we receive all of the power we need to do battle with the evil one because you are stronger, bigger, and greater And you have given us life in Jesus Christ. And your spirit dwells within us. Father, we pray that we would rely upon you each moment of each day until the day we see you. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful week.